0: following audio is for Emanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emanuel is available at our website, www.myemanuel.net. This I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. I love worshiping with you. I love being with you in the house of the Lord today. Uh, mothers, thank you so much for what you do in our lives, not just not just it's not just a day where we recognize our own moms, but we recognize God's design for family and that there's a there's a integral part for a mother to play. My sermon, however, is not a quintessential Mother's Day sermon. I'm continuing the study of First Thessalonians with you, and I want to invite you to join me once again in chapter four. And we're gonna look at the exact same passage that we looked at last week, but this week with different eyes. Last week, we talked about the will of God. And I told you that so many pastors get asked on a regular basis, well, what's the will of God for my life here? And what's the will of uh, God for my life there? And we talked about that last week. But this week, I want to bring your attention to another part of this passage. There's a Second half of the phrase in verse three, so if you 've got first Thessalonians chapter four, he says in verse one, finally, then my brothers, we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that you what you receive from us is how you ought to walk and to please God, and that reference about walking to please God, we talked about last week is a reference to what sanctification looks like in our everyday life, and then he then he commends the Thessalonians, and he says, just as you were doing, but do it more and more. Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about this is why we we take this part of every worship service and say, let's look and see what are the instructions that God himself has given us. And then verse 3 is our key verse this morning, for this is the will of God. Now, if, uh, if Jesus appeared to you bodily today, and imagine he would take the time just for the two of two of you to have a conversation. And if Jesus were to say to you, "Here is God's will for your life," wouldn't you lean into that just a little bit? Wouldn't you be all ears? Wouldn't you, there wouldn't if your phone rang, you wouldn't answer it. And you certainly wouldn't be fubbing Jesus right with your phone snub. You 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 say, "Wait, wait, well, hold that. I got a text." Um, no, if God says to you, "Here is my will for you. Here's God's will." You'd pay attention. Well, here's what verse three says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So we know, based on the authority of God's word, that it is his will that you move forward in a process of Christ-likeness. Last week we talked about the definitions of sanctification. One of them is to wash. Or to cleanse. One of them is to make holy, and one of them is we're called apart or we're called out to be separate. But I want you to see sanctification in a in a large overview today, because if it's God's will for you and if, as a believer, if you're here this morning and it is your desire, many of you last week at the end of the service, you raised your hand and said, that's my desire, I want God's will for my life, then we should take a step back and look in more of a totality with broader brush strokes what sanctification really is. And so this morning, I've got the whiteboard out. We're going to do some work together. Don't worry if you can't see the board. What I'm going to write on the board is going to come up on the screens, and you'll be able to see that. Let me say this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you uh, some triangles, and some of you have seen this before, and so it will be good rehearsal for you. Some of you are going to see it for the very first time, and for those of you who have seen it for the first time, it's probably like drinking from a fire hose. It's going to be a lot, and that's why we're taking the time to put it all up on the board. But I want you to see where sanctification is in God's plan, in God's will for your life. And it begins all the way back with who God is. And we know that God is God the Father and God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're going to take notes, and that's why on your sermon note page, the page is just blank, so you can draw triangles. Um, put these things on the same side of every triangle because we'll make correlations here in just a little bit and then it'll make sense. So let's talk about the Trinity just for a moment. God is a Trinity. There are three parts of who he is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And while we don't understand it and no person can really fathom it, God is three distinct individuals and yet they are one. They are triune and this has been affirmed from the earliest days by the apostolic fathers that this is who God is and so we understand that and then that helps us to understand that he made us he made mankind in his own image and so man also is triune we're a trichotomy made in the image of God and so you know you have a body that's what we use to recognize each other. And then we are made in the image of God, that's the spiritual part of us, and we have a mind. Uh, uh, secular philosophers and even some uh, secular psychologists often fail. They, they, have a, they have a fatal flaw in their paradigm and understanding of, of who we are because they only see us as a, as a mind and a body. But there's a third part of you, and the third part of you is the most important part of you. The third part of you is the part that was actually made in the image of God. Uh, When I was in eighth grade, I had a teacher teaching me of evolution and even as an eighth grader I was pretty strong in my faith so I took exception with the adult teacher in my class and I said I don't believe that and she said why not and I said oh, I believe we're made in the image of God and then she said well what's the image of God what, what color skin is the image of God is it a white person is it a black person is it a Latino person is it an Asian person and as an eighth grader and in a debate I, 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 I couldn't quite come back to that but now I realize that she was focused on the wrong part of who we are. We were made in the image of God, and that has nothing to do with skin color. It has everything to do with the stamp that you were created immortal. Even as God is eternal, you are immortal. You were made, created to never die. And you won't ever die. you either live forever in heaven, eternal life, or you'll die forever, eternal death, in a place called hell. But you'll never die. Why? Because you are stamped with the image of God. Well, the, God had a plan for us. His plan for us was that we would have an identity that would be perfect in him. And that identity has to do with the worth that he places on us, the ability or competence he gives us uh, in life, and the sense of belonging that we have because we belong to God the Father. And we are stamped with this. It's a creative identity that is on the soul of every person. Every person has a hunger and a thirst to know these things. And so our real worth is is in the fact that we are made in the image of God. The psalmist says a little lower than the angels for now but then later we'll be a little higher than the angels. You see you and I have a song that we will sing in heaven that angels cannot sing. It's redeemed how I love to proclaim it. No fallen angel has the opportunity for redemption. But you and I do because of God's plan of salvation. That's how much your worth. And then he says to Adam in the garden of Eden, he says, uh, "Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and have dominion over it." And Adam named all the animals. He ha- he could do that because he was he was able, he was competent. And then Adam and Eve of course belonged to the heavenly Father, who the scripture says came and walked with them in the cool of each and every day. And there was only one instruction for them in the garden. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And that day came. And that day came when Eve ate of it, and she gave it to Adam, and he ate of it. And what died that day? Did the did the body die? No. Adam and Eve's bodies continued to live. Did the mind die? No. They still had mental capabilities, but they died spiritually on that day when i was a sunday school boy i used to get a little miffed at adam and eve because they blew it for all of us we'd we'd all be in the garden of eden everything would be perfect if it hadn't been for adam and eve and then one day really studying my bible the holy spirit revealed to me and and what did you do paul when it came your turn and i asked you this morning what did you do when it came your turn When you came to a fork in the road and you knew this was right and this was wrong, what happened on that day when you knew right and wrong and you chose wrong? Each and every one of us have done what Adam and Eve did. Each and every one of us have deserved that. And each and every one of us in that act of sin, we turned our back on God and His plan and all that He created us to be and instead... We chose sin. Now, sin is interesting because I'm not really here going to be talking about... Uh, did you lie? Did you steal? Did you cheat? Did you, were you selfish? Was it lust? Was it greed? That's, that's not what I'm going to talk about. Each and every one of us made that, that fork in the road. We made that decision to sin. But what we really chose was we chose something other than God's perfect plan of perfect fellowship, perfect oneness with Him. We, we, we rejected His worth because we wanted to establish something that was our own And so we replaced his intrinsic worth and value in our lives with our own performance. And we all start doing this when we're kids. We, we start to perform in order to be liked, loved, or accepted. And even secular psychologists know this. They call it performance-based acceptance. Maybe for you it was good grades that where you got a lot of accolade. Or maybe it was sports. Or maybe it was music. Or maybe it was uh, your good looks. Or or maybe uh, you were the clown of the class. And everybody thought you are the funniest person ever. And so you, you chose that avenue. And that became your performance now the the bible word for this is good works or what we would even call self-righteousness choosing not god's plan for me i set about the apostle these are the apostle paul's words in the new testament i set about to create my own self-righteousness i i wanted to come to god by my own good works By my own righteousness, I'll I'll perform to be good enough. And and still today, if you travel around, and it's not just America, it's not just North America. If you travel around the world and you talk to people, the essence of every false religion, the the essence of every false belief system is, well, I I hope I go to heaven when I die. I've tried to be a good person. If my good works will just outweigh my bad works, I'll get in. Most people believe in God. Most people believe in heaven. They just think that I will do good enough things to get there. And so God's intrinsic worth is replaced with my own good works. Competence uh, with sin is always replaced with status. Isn't it interesting? I'm not really capable of doing it, so I'll replace my incompetence with status. I'll drive a nicer and newer truck, and I'll have status. I'll get a bigger house, and I'll have status. Uh, i 'll swap out this husband for a better looking husband, and i 'll have status and good luck we 're mostly ugly guys anyway so 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 status isn 't anything about competence, and status is replacing competence so that everybody no one will find out that i i couldn 't pass algebra i 'm not competent, but it 's not really the competence of whether or not you can pass algebra it 's the competence of whether or not you can overcome sin. And once I choose the sinful way, I can't overcome sin. Jesus says in John chapter 8, whoever sins becomes a slave to sin. Every every sin is by its nature addictive. Every single one. Why is that? Because it's the nature of sin. Sin says to you, just eat one potato chip. And you, you don't realize it and you eat the whole bag. Every sin looks just like that. Every single one, and so it invites us in, and we are unable we are incompetent to stand up before sin that 's why there 's so many addiction groups in the world because they all are connected to a sin that we think we can handle, and in reality we don 't own it, it owns us, and then belonging is replaced with appearance appearance is, uh, appearance is an interesting thing it 's completely superficial. You don't belong, but you want to look like you belong, and we and we all start doing it right away. Several years ago, I was at the mall, and then I realized I was I was walking behind these four girls. I think they were about thirteen, and uh, now remind you, I'm on the I'm behind them, and they all looked identical. I realized they all had the exact same hairstyle. And they were all wearing uh, like a leather coat. They were the exact same coats. They had the exact jeans on and the exact shoes on. And then I started thinking, because I'm behind I thought, they're quadruplets. No, just four 13-year-old girls that wanted to belong. And the way it appeared that they would belong is by their appearance. If you look like the cool girls, then you can be in the cool girl club. It's not just 13-year-old girls that do that. you ever seen a motorcycle gang? Their leathers, their colors. What are they saying? I belong to this gang. We all do it in some shape or form, and we swap the thing which has eternal and intrinsic value. The thing that your soul longs for is to belong, but we swap that for appearance. Well, sin doesn't end there. Sin takes us into another place. Sin has its own identity. And what it really produces in our life is guilt and fear and anger. Because what happens is you want to be someone who is considered a value, but you can't ever perform enough to achieve it and eventually you feel guilty. You want to be considered competent, but you're afraid, here's fear, you're afraid that your status will be revealed and people will find out you're really not as smart as they all think you are. You're really not this or that. And every you, you want belonging, but when you try and you try and you try, and eventually this almost always turns into romantic kind of belonging, and you try and you try, you don't find it, then that turns into anger. And these are all real parts of that by the way the whole the essence of this and this isn't on the this won't, will not come up on the screen but the essence of this is that all sin final identity is death guilt and fear and anger are just the precursors of that and so let's talk about it just a little bit let's talk about guilt if, if you went to a secular psychologist who had no Christian worldview at all they might even tell you oh you shouldn't feel guilt before they even hear your story Several years ago, a young man came to me, and uh, he said, I wanted to see you. He said, I've been thinking about taking my life. I've been thinking about committing suicide, but I thought I should talk to someone first. And I said, "So I said, tell me about your life. And as he told me about his life, there was nothing in it that you and I would consider so terrible that he would take his own life. He's an average kid. He didn't start robbing banks at five years old. He wasn't selling meth at seven uh, he, and, but what it was, it was a story void of God. he had never been in church. He hadn't heard God's story. He didn't know the claims of Christ. And so when we got to the end of that, and he kind of told me his story, I said something that it probably shocked him. And I said, you know, I, if I were you, I, I, I might be thinking about suicide too. And I, I don't think he ever thought that I would say that. And I said, because, I said, the reality is the guilt feelings that you have is because you're guilty before God. You see, there's the there's the feeling of guilt, but there's the state of being guilty. Do you understand that? When you're in court and the job the the judge drops his gavel and he says, "We find you guilty," that has nothing to do with your feelings at all. You might not feel guilty. You might be innocent, but you've been convicted. It's the state of being guilty. And here's what we discover from the Bible that when we choose. Sin and we reject God's plan for our lives, we are guilty, and the wages of sin is death. This is why we struggle. In our lives, this is why every single person on the planet outside of Christ struggles with who they are. And it's fraught with guilt and fear and anger. And it's full of that because they have never known the forgiveness and the purpose that God has for them. And so the scripture says that when we ask Jesus Christ to come into our lives, when we ask for the forgiveness of sins, when God does the saving work in our lives, He sets us free from our sin. He forgives us of our sin. He declares, You're not guilty. How did He do that? Well, He did that by God's plan of salvation for us, which, and I finally got to the sermon. Are you scared? justification and sanctification and glorification are the three parts of God's salvation. Well, let me make some separations here really quickly. This is not another belief system. There's a whole bunch of I guess I guess you could say good religions in the world. They're good in the sense that it's good people trying to come up with virtuous belief systems that produce virtuous actions, but they're all flawed. Every, every earthly man-made religion is flawed because not a one of them can get you to heaven. Not a single one. And so what did God do for us? God's plan of salvation didn't originate with man. It comes from God himself. God comes down from heaven to earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves Adam and Eve couldn't do it you couldn't do it I couldn't do it nobody on the planet could do it the best people who ever lived on this planet by their own goodness or their own righteousness couldn't do it and so God came to do it himself he came and his salvation is a work it's a three part work that includes uh, Jesus' sacrifice it includes the Holy Spirit's indwelling and it includes the Father's adoption. And in these three things, this becomes our this becomes our spiritual identity. He he reaffirms, he he, he accomplishes what was lost in our sin. He intended for us to have worth and competence and belonging and we lost it. We lost it in our sin. And so he takes the creative worth, and now he makes it a redemptive worth. How much are you worth? Do you want to know how much you're worth? You're worth so much that Jesus came to die for you. What greater value can there be set upon your life? You want, you, do you really want to go with your grades compared to Jesus's Jesus' standard of your worth, your measurement? Do you really want to go with your good looks or how much money you've made compared to the fact that God has established your value? He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. That's the power of that. Now, let's just talk a little bit more about this death problem that we have and why salvation is the only way. That's the only answer for that. Why Jesus is the only way. Everybody has a sin problem, so everybody's separated from God, and so the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so every one of us has a death problem. But here's the deal. Nobody can die that death for you. Only someone who was perfect could die the death for you. So I could love you. Imagine what a friend I would be if I said, I love you so much, I will die your death for you. But I can't do that because I have to die my death for me. Because I'm a sinner So the only person who could die a death for you Would be a perfect person Let's continue to imagine for a second Let's say there was a perfect person There's not But let's say there was They could only die for one of us They would have to pick Which one of us they would die for Because even if a person was perfect They'd be finite But Jesus is God Comes from heaven How perfect was he? Even at perfect DNA, he was born of a virgin. Tempted in every way, just like you and me, except without sin. He never sinned. And so the perfect man was also the perfect God. So he went to the cross, and he was able to suffer infinitely so that he could die for all of us in one death. And what he did was he took those of us who were wrong. And he made us right with God. And that right, he gave us his righteousness, means that now God the Father, through the shed blood of the Son, looks at you and I, justification is a great big word, right? He looks at you and I just as if we've never sinned. And everything changes for us. Do you know what changes? There's no guilt for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The scripture says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind, of self-control, of power of the Holy Spirit. We no longer have to function with the anger and hostility of unmet expectations. Christ Jesus meets all of our expectations. The scripture says, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Everything changes for us. We come to the foot of the cross, and we are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus says to Martha in John 11, if you believe in me, you will never die. Do you believe this? And it is the act of God's salvation. Not man's religion, God's salvation. But the sermon is supposed to be about sanctification. And with seven minutes, I just now arrived. You guys are good till 1 or one thirty, right? Okay, so you're going to get it because you're getting the You're getting the framework with with which it exists. So you know exactly where you are. If you're a believer here today, you've already been justified. You know you're not glorified yet because that's when you're perfect. Yep, look at your your wife. It's Mother's Day and say, honey, not perfect. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. Nobody's got the glorified body yet. So these are, this is a different triangle. It's not going to come up on the screen. These are past present and future for the believer. The problem with most believers is they think that the present tense is this. They think that you give your life to Christ. I mean, they, they don't believe the Bible says this, but they act this way. You give your life to Christ, and then God says, all right, you're going to go to heaven when you die. I'll see you when you get here. Good luck to you. You're on your own. I'll see you when you get here. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that at the moment that Christ Jesus does this sacrificial work and we accept that, He reestablishes our worth, He sends us His holy spirit, His indwelling, to reestablish our competence. You have abilities that you didn't have before you were saved. What ability is that? That's not that you can just start doing algebra, but you can't start saying no to the Satan. You have new abilities. You don't have to sin anymore. Why? Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Everybody thinks I'm oversimplifying this. How do you overcome sin? Just say no. Run to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus and you won't have to say no to so much sin. Just, you have that power. We we function like the elephant that when he was little was tied to a stake at the circus and he couldn't pull away from the stake. So with an elephant's memory, now you have all this power And the elephant says I can't get away I'm addicted I'm stuck I can't overcome it And that's all smoke and mirrors That's lies from the evil one Who was a liar from the beginning You have in you You've been saved from sins This is how sins uh, uh, This isn't sins victory But it's victory over sin What does it say up there? Sins removal That's better when I was making my notes so what does God remove? Jesus removes the penalty of sin on the cross in justification. That's what Jesus does. What, were the, what was the penalty of sin? The wages of sin was death. You're not going to die anymore. You have eternal life. What does the, the Holy Spirit remove when it comes to sin? He removes the power of sin. What does God the Father remove on the day of glorification when you're adopted into the family? He removes the presence of sin. Aren't you looking forward to the removal of the presence of sin? You want to be good? No more sex trafficking, no more wars, no more crime, no more murder, no more rape, no more Republicans or Democrats, no more earthly government. All of it removed, presence of sin. When does that happen? Glorification. Where are we? If we're believers, we've already received Christ. But we haven't yet arrived in heaven. So where are we? We are... Sanctification. We're present tense. How do we live? We live moving, remember our definitions? Wash, cleansed, holy, set apart. We live moving forward with intentionality and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to be more like Christ and more like Christ and more like Christ. And you know really what should happen between sanctification and glorification, we should be becoming so much more like Christ that when we get to the sanctification and we cross over in death to glorification, it's just the next natural step. And in that sense, death isn't a bad deal at all, is it? Death is the presence of God. Death is the final adoption of the Heavenly Father. Death is the total and complete belonging that he put in your soul that you were meant to have with the Heavenly Father. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three says, "This is the will of God, your sanctification. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. We stop here not because there's not more teaching in god 's Word, but just because we 're out of time this morning. But I wonder this morning if god hasn 't spoken to you and maybe he's has spoken to you." about the first part of this that has to do with justification and maybe for the first time in your life it it, kind of made sense to you begin to realize why Jesus Christ went to the cross and maybe even this morning when you've attended church you were kind of trying to put something on the positive side of the ledger maybe you were here just because you're trying to be a good person and you're hoping good people get to heaven and this morning you realize nobody gets to heaven except through Jesus There has to be a time and a place where we acknowledge our sin. We repent of our sin. We ask him for forgiveness and we declare that he's our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that or you've never done that with the knowledge and the understanding that you have this morning, the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you'll pray that prayer in the stillness of your own heart, today can be the day of your salvation or maybe the day of the assurance of your salvation that you can know for sure that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. But for many of you in this room, you've already given your life to Christ. The problem is you're living your everyday life like everybody who doesn't even know the Lord. And that's not what we're called to. That's not God's will for you. God's will is your sanctification. And it means that with understanding and intentionality, you're gonna to try to be more like Christ today than yesterday. You're gonna to try to be like Christ more like Christ tomorrow than today. You're going to move forward in holiness to be the person that God wants you to be. You're not just who you are. You're someone that God loves. And now He calls. And now He starts to make you holy. This is God's will for you. I want to say one last word. If you're here this morning and you've lost a loved one to death and you're struggling with that a little bit or maybe you're struggling with your own health and you're starting to look into eternity a little bit, I want you to know that there really is a heaven. Just as much as there's justification and sanctification, there's glorification. There's a heaven of the eternal presence of God where we are in his presence and there's no more sin. There's no more sickness. There's no more tears. All the tears will be wiped away. There really is an eternity. And God longs for you to be there with him. And I don't want you to be afraid of it. And I want you to be uncertain of it. I want you to know that that God has a heavenly home, an eternal home for all of those who love him. The psalmist says, precious in the eyes of God are the death of his saints. And so I want you to be comforted in that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's going to come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. But how many of you would signify by the uplifted hand, and all you would say this morning by raising your hand is, God has spoken to me today. I I have heard the voice of God speak to me today. Just raise your hand. Just say, I've heard God speak to me all over the room, all over the room. God bless you. So here's what I want to say to you. Obey that voice. God has spoken to you. It's a sacred moment. God has spoken to you about your life, your journey, your burdens, your issues. He's spoken to you. So don't turn around, walk through the doors, and forget this. Obey that voice and experience the blessing of God. Father, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for the power of your word. And even though we just really kind of looked at it in, in its broadest sense in an overview, thank you that when we look at it, we recognize that you have a plan that this wasn't man's plan. No man could come up with this. This is God who made a plan to save us. The scripture says, before you ever said, let there be light, before the foundation of the world, even though you knew Adam and Eve would sin, even though you knew I would sin, you decided you would send Jesus to die for my sin, that I might have the forgiveness of sin, eternal life, your Holy Spirit. Heaven is my eternal home. Father, not just me, but for every person on this planet, that's how great your love is. Today, we rejoice in your love. Today, we celebrate in your love. And we choose to be obedient to your voice this morning, praying all these things in the most precious and holy name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Just uh, one final benediction. It's actually the verse that I've read the last two Sundays, but I'm hoping now it's really starting to resonate with you. Here's what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole, think of the triangle, spirit, mind, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Thank you for listening to audio from Emanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emanuel, please visit us online at www.myemanuel.net.